Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's evidence that endorphins are really helpful in how the immune system works. So if you're going on holiday and you find that you might have, if you have an autoimmune disease or an allergy or some kind of food intolerance, it might suddenly become a lot better when you go on holiday. And you just attribute that to eating a different kind of food. But it might be because you're happy when you're eating. And it actually boosts these regulatory T-cells that we have in our body that, that sort of gently tap the brakes on the immune system and keep it in check. Hi, it's Dr. Rupi from The Doctor's Kitchen and we were going to continue with normal uh, podcast releases uh, this week and over the next few weeks we've got pods on the ketogenic diet, um, reversing aging, lifestyle factors for your brain, I mean a whole bunch of different subjects that I'm really, really excited to get into. However, we thought what better time than to re-release an episode that we've done with Dr. Jenna Machoki uh, on immune health and what immune health actually means. There's a lot of misinformation out there at the moment and we thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity to remind people of just how incredible our bodies are. If you want some more specific information about SARS-CoV-2, the virus causing COVID-19, then I would direct you to the YouTube um, uh, Instagram Live that we did. It's available on the Doctor's Kitchen YouTube channel where we talk about specifically what we know about the virus thus far. It was recorded about a week ago or so, but the information pretty much stays the same at this point. Social distancing, isolation, and trying to minimize any contact is, is really key right now. Um, we In this episode, we talk mainly about what immune health actually means, where it comes from, why it's not as simple as eating to boost your immunity, and what defines a robust immune system. We do talk about uh, foods, lifestyle, and supplementation to support immunity, and what that actually means and how they work, as well as clock genes, sleep hygiene, and why suppressing a fever may or may not be beneficial. It depends on the circumstances. So, what I would suggest is relax, take some time out to yourself. We've compressed this episode into one, so it's one long episode, everything to do with immune health. And one of the best things about this episode isn't actually the content, it's just how relaxed Dr. Jenner is. I really love listening to her mellifluous voice. It's just a pleasure, and it was an absolute pleasure to interview her as well. 
I do want to direct you to something super important, which is her book that just came out. It's called Immunity, the Science of Staying Well. And it is a wonderful resource for anyone looking to understand their immune health in greater detail. And she does talk about a whole bunch of extra subjects that we didn't get time to talk about on the pod as well. So it's things like supplementation, the evidence base behind stress relieving techniques, and what things you can do right now to help you stay well. I think in these current circumstances, it's never been a better opportunity to really focus on yourself and look after oneself as well. So that's the reason why we're re-releasing. That's the reason why I think you should go buy this book, Immunity, the the Science of Staying Well. Um, And without further ado, please do listen to my wonderful conversation with Dr. Jenna. And remember, you can uh, find all this information and more at thedoctorskitchen.com as well as signing up for the newsletter where we give evidence-based recipes every single week plus all of uh, the lifestyle uh, practices you need particularly in this pressing time myself and my team are working even harder than usual to send you relevant contact uh, content rather um, that will uh, help you through this time so give us a five-star review if you find it helpful and uh, enjoy the podcast Welcome to the show. Thank you, Rupi. Thanks for having me. This is it's been a while since we've spoken, yeah. but we finally got a date yes, in the diary. Exactly. And yeah, so I'm I'm really, really excited about this episode. Yeah, I'm so I've been happy following to your be work here. for a little while as well. Thank and you. The first time we met was mm-hmm. at my book launch. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have a mutual friend and I came along. I already had your book at that point. Oh, actually, did you? So oh, nice. okay. um it was nice to come and um see you celebrate that moment. Yeah. And, it was yeah. a mutual friend of ours, uh, John Payne, who's yeah. a photographer yeah. and uh, um, yeah, I remember him just saying, oh, yeah, I brought my mate along. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that's cool. And then he told me, you're an immunologist, yes. you're interested in lifestyle medicine. I was like, yes. that's amazing. That's I great. Yeah. And even back then, I was like, I think I must have said to you, we should get you on the podcast. Yeah. That was back in January 2018. Gosh, was it that long ago? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're here now. Um, Finally made it. So, uh, <laughs> we know a bit about you. We know that your uh, background is in immunology. Yeah. How yeah. did you get into this space where you're interested? and diet and lifestyle like do you have a personal story like what's your background yeah I mean I grew up in rural Scotland so uh, I grew up on a farm and I look back and I think wow that was a real privilege because it was very farm to table and um, my mum was a professional cook so she told me how everything she knew about cooking but it was also an area of like a lot of rural poverty you know there Mm -hmm. was a lot of industry closing a lot of people that didn't have a lot and I think that what growing up in that environment gave me was knowing how to cook and make something from nothing and I think that's something that I think has been lost Mm. in today's society whereabouts in rural Scotland so it's in in Ayrshire in a farm this is on the west coast oh I don't know I haven't ventured west yeah (laughs) I've got to about it's very wet and I think that's about it yeah yeah it's beautiful it's very wet there's not a lot there Um, and we had a really small farm um, sounds idyllic yeah it does now just imagine this farm to table food your mum's a professional chef you're living off the land exactly where you know she taught me because because everything's quite seasonal you know mm. we didn't have 
the variety of like exotic fruits and vegetables. It was really like what grew in that season. And you had seen that Scotland's got some amazing wild yes. fruits, haven't yes, they? Yes, yeah, and like yeah. mushroom season. Yeah, you know, we're all over that. Berries that I never see here, like tay berries. They're like these giant raspberries. Tay so. berries. I've never yeah. heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> I just grew up thinking I was normal, and then like I came to down south, and no one's heard of those. So. I I come across this forager. I think it must have been on a TV program, yeah. like a cookery program, where he can mimic uh, different exotic spices from all over the world, like coriander wow. and uh, Thai basil yeah. from herbs foraged in Scotland. Oh my yeah, gosh, I have yeah. to check that I could have looked this guy up. I'll put it on the show notes, but wow. it is incredible. And that, that little snippet, I think it must have been on Sassy Kitchen or something, yeah. that little snippet really made me think, I've got to go to Scotland. Oh, I've really yes. got to explore the different yeah. sort of culinary landscape. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think not always um, the food is the first thing that springs to mind as being healthy yeah. we have things like deep fried pizza <laughs> you know yeah. but I think intrinsically the kind of real traditional diet um, of Scotland you can find that it is is relatively good for you and it's yeah it follows the seasons and my mum taught me a lot of how to process you know when you have all your root vegetables coming at the one time how mm. do you store that so that they last over winter and you know how to just open your cupboard with hardly anything there and, and suddenly make a meal from that and I think those are great tools that yeah. that people need and perhaps have been lost a little bit definitely um, you like me had a mother yeah. who was really into cooking and, yeah. and you know, food and, and, and yeah, trying exactly. different sort of like uh, types of cuisines yeah, as well and exactly. that being instilled generation to generation I think is something that is becoming yeah. less and less normal exactly I, ca- I can't help but think that there's something about the traditional way of life that we've lost. Like we very much were adapted to our environment because mm. we had to be for survival. And it's kind of like the modern world is great, but have we thrown the bathwater out with the baby, yeah, or yeah. the baby out with the bathwater? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? One it's like some of the elements of of how we used to live perhaps might be quite useful now yeah, um, and absolutely. Maybe a little bit lost I love using that evolutionary perspective yes um, and yeah. I think that's going to definitely come into our conversation with yeah. immunity today yeah um, but taking that perspective like okay what are we adapted for and yes. how do we manage the advantages and the benefits of modern living yeah. with how we are designed to live yeah. both from a mental and a physical perspective exactly well. I think when we unlock a lot of the secrets of evolutionary biology it will yield a lot more in our understanding of why we are the way we are and then yeah. how to self-manage that to, to fit in with the modern environment because that's not changing. Yeah. You know, it's not going to go back to our rudimentary way of life anytime exactly, soon. Yeah. I love that. But, and, um, and so... So you were based in Scotland and then you came yeah. all the way down. Yeah, to... so for some reason as a child I had an obsession with health and disease. I was okay. just really curious about it. Maybe it was living on a farm, you see the circle of life, you know. When I was thinking about what to do when I left school, um, I'd heard about immunology and there was a course at Glasgow University in the medical school where they just do immunology and it's very select, it's only 20 students. And I just thought, wow, this sounds really interesting. This sounds like this is the foundation of health and disease. And when I got there, I was like, amazing I found mm. my people this is what I want to do and that was almost 20 years ago now so I've just been in the field ever since and I love it and I think there's always more to learn your passion definitely comes through on yeah. your blog yes. on your social social um, posts and um, some of the articles that you've done as well yeah for, for major magazines but let's get into it so I think, and this is something we were talking about before mm-hmm. the show, that the vernacular around immunology is very 
misunderstood yes. and it's misguiding i think yeah. for a lot of people because you'll you'll find lots of articles like you know these are the top herbs to boost your immune system yes. and yeah. you know to to kill a cold and all this kind of stuff so i think we should strip it right back and yeah. actually talk about what we mean by immunity yeah definitely i think that's really that's probably what got me you know talking about this um so much in the beginning just hearing so much misinformation mm. um and I think that the first thing to say that the immune system is this huge complex web that's all over our body. It's found everywhere in the brain and all of your organs and your blood. And people like to think about it as being a single on off switch. So you want to switch it on, fight infections, you know, create this force field that's going to keep you well and then switch it off again. And it's actually more like a series of different switches and you've got to have the right combinations. So it's a bit like a restart that you're constantly adjusting yeah. to get it just right. But then something in your environment will change, the season changes, and then you have to kind of tweak it again. So it's not just an on-off switch. I think that's probably a hang-up from when people died from infection. Mm. And that's maybe going back... 100 or so years ago mm. um, people might not make it to old age because they would die of infection that we don't see just now so yeah. we're constantly thinking and we'll switch on our immune system be invincible yeah. to infection but it doesn't quite work like that and um, it's important to say that immunity is what makes us unique so it's almost like your fingerprint even mm. in identical twins their immune systems will be different um, it's the way that the receptors are, are recombined. There's a really unique way that the genes um, work to make the, the, the sort of repertoire of what we call our immune cells and all the different things that they can sense, so viruses, bacteria. So every one of us is unique. And there's a kind of fundamental reason for that because, you know, if, if you think about a room full of people and you, you throw in a cold virus... Mm. If they were all to get sick to the same degree, we'd probably have died out as a species yeah. by now. So yeah. there's there's a, a fundamental reason why we're, we're immunologically all different, because, you know, some people might be more susceptible to bacteria. Some of us might be more susceptible to certain viruses or parasites. But if we we're all the same, we wouldn't have survived. Mm. So there has to be that kind of... Um, uniqueness in our Im immune system. I love that analogy actually because yeah. that does tease out a lot about how one thing might, not, might work for some person. Yeah. That could be diet, it could be medications, it could be yes. any sorts yeah. of things. Um, and it might not do anything for the other yeah. person. And that uniqueness is something that I'm trying to bring out of people as well with the yeah. content I put out. It's, it's about becoming the expert of not of health, of not of nutrition, but your own health. Yes. And yeah. how that relates to you. So there's so much information out, so much content, but really it's about filtering out that content and, and deciding how does that help me in this yes, situation. Yes, exactly. And I think that's another brings out another important aspect of the immune system is that it's always changing mm. it's not something that we're born with i like to think of the immune system as something that's made so you're born with a quite rudimentary immune system and you're reliant on a lot of what you've got from your mother um, both through the placenta and then if you're breastfed um, and then your immune system really starts to develop from the moment that you're born and it continues to develop and change throughout your lifetime into old age so when people say oh I've got a really rubbish immune system mm -hmm. maybe at that moment in time because you've got a cold and you're feeling lousy yeah. but you know it, it's not a fixed thing there's things you can do to change it and we know that only a fraction of what 
determines your immune system is in the genes. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is the environment, what you're doing, so things that you can actually um, be in charge of and yeah. manage by yourself. So nutrition being only one of those, but um, all sorts of lifestyle factors. Definitely, yeah, and we're definitely going to get into that. So your immune system, essentially this complex uh, set of cells, mm. I think a lot of people don't realise that anything that really protects you and uh, yes. helps your your innate sort of homeostatic mechanisms, yes. your, your balancing mechanisms, yeah. is part of your immunity. Yes, so that exactly. could be the acid in your stomach. It could yeah. be your yeah. nasal hairs, yeah, your nostrils, exactly. your the mouth. And secretions on your skin. Exactly. So it's, it's cells, it's molecules, it's it's those barriers to infection. If you think about where you're normally going to get an infection, it's it's breathing things in or swallowing things or through the skin. It's the, the bits that are exposed. And it's not just for infection. I think this is, again, something that people don't think about. Um, it's also the main thing that's involved in repair and adaptation. So if you're going in and working out in the gym, your immune system's helping your muscles adapt, repair and strengthen. It's involved in pregnancy and the success of, of carrying a child. Uh, it's it's really a key part of the aging process. Mm-hmm. It can really determine how well we age. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the main cancer surveillance that mm-hmm. we have in our body. And I think that's, again, something that not many people think about. Yeah, I, I like to, I use the analogy in, in the next book, Eat to Be Illness, about how your immune system, instead of being an aggressive military force, yes, it's yeah. like a peacekeeper. Yeah. It's sort of like looking at where there needs to be a little bit more action, yeah. a little bit more force, and actually where we need to step back a bit. Yes, because yeah. An immune system that is overactive, that is boosted, if boosted, you like, yes. is not a good thing. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and that's where we lead to people who are suffering with autoimmune issues, yeah. where your immune system essentially loses the capability to yeah. recognize friend from foe. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. The immune system doesn't just recognize different pathogens, as we call them, so the bugs that are causing infection, but they recognize danger and damage. The immune cells are intimately entwined with all our other systems in the body. So they have um, receptors for uh, your sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone. So they're affected by different um, fluctuations in those. Also, they have receptors for stress hormones like cortisol and the neurotransmitters. So if you think about the complete picture, then how you're feeling, your stress, um, you know, the the different hormone times that um, maybe are going on, for example, in a woman's body, this is all affecting your immune system as well so it's 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 like the sixth sense you know it's really helping us uh, manage our environment yeah and and adapt to that it's really I, I think that's a really good analogy actually being the, the sixth sense, the sixth sense that's how yeah. I like to think about and it and already yeah. just from that description of just how complicated and intricate the system mm-hmm. is you can understand why just taking a single supplement yes is unlikely yeah. to be the silver bullet that magically <laughs> improves your immune system yeah. to fight off a cold or whatever you're going through at that point yeah. in time so I think that's like already you know yeah. uh, a good understanding of, of why these things don't necessarily exactly. work when I, when I start teaching immunology uh, that at the University of Sussex the first time that the students get any kind of insight I show them this huge web of all the the cell populations and the subpopulations and then like the subpopulations yeah. and you can just see you know the emoji of like the mind blowing um, they're like what it's it, there's so many different things going on and so many switches um, that anything to do with the immune system is going to be multifaceted. So there's going to be a lot of different things going in to give you a certain result. So that's the reason that there's not going to be one single supplement or thing that you can do that's going to give you some kind of immune effect. It's always going to be multi-pronged in your approach. That description of all those different sort of immunological (laughs) factors brought back loads of painful (laughs) memories for me actually in medical school trying to 
figure out, oh God, like all these yeah. different like T regulatory cells and MHC yeah. complexes. Every like, year they discover on? a new subset of yeah. the subset. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's like the complement system, which is like. I actually had some there. people message me on Instagram and social media just saying, can she just describe exactly what a complement <laughs> is? What is MHC? What are all these different sort of neurological yeah. factors? You know, it's quite funny actually. There's a lot of medical students, I think, that follow me and they're just trying to get like yeah. uh, some answers for their it's, essays. I always think I'm, I've got to work really hard not to scare people off immunology in the beginning because it does get really interesting later on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now we kind of understand what the immune system is. And you're suffering from cold. I know, moment, ironically. Right? Somebody said to me the other day, like, I didn't think you would get sick. <laughs> yeah. You're always talking about the immune system. Surely yeah. you should be invincible. This is something I talk to patients about. It's like the very mm-hmm. fact that you're sick um, and you have a temperature yeah. and you, uh, you know, you have all these other sorts. You have a cough, you yeah. have a tickle, you have a throat yeah. sensation. Shows you that your immune system is actually working. Yeah, exactly. And it's about changing your perspective from yeah. uh, one that is annoyed by the fact that you have a cold, yeah. which is I, I get it, it's super annoying, but. Yeah. You should also be grateful and appreciative of the fact that your immune system is working. Yeah, exactly. And not everyone has an intact immune system yeah. that can tolerate that. And exactly. You're most likely going to be fine in a couple of days. Yeah, that's the thing. Colds and flus are self-limiting. There's so many different varieties, which is why it's normal to get a few every year. And most of the time, you don't even realize your immune system's working. I mean, we live in this really microbial world, and every mm. day it's just like fending things off. We don't even notice it. And every now and again, one might slip through the net, and then you get sick. And the symptoms are actually your immune system more than the actual infection in most cases mm. so they might be unpleasant but you just got to ride them out yeah. and this is again <laughs> where I think like modern life is hard because you know the general message is like go down the pharmacy buy all the over-the-counter medications and then get to work and struggle through the day yeah. and um if you actually maybe just took a day off or two and rested, you'd probably yeah. get over it a lot quicker. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Our producers actually were talking about uh, some cold and flu <laughs> over-the-counter uh, medications. I was like, oh, do, what do you recommend about this yeah. one? I don't, can't remember what it was. It was some spray for the yeah. back of your throat. It's really funny. Even though I tell this to my husband all the time, he loves himself one of those, like, you know, that you put the hot water in and it's like a paracetamol-based, <laughs> like, decongestion thing. I'm like, that tastes disgusting. Yeah, I know, yeah. Save your money. And <laughs> yeah, we'll talk rest. about that, actually. With yes, the, the, exactly. Uh, the fever sort of um, yeah. balancing uh, medications and stuff. But yeah. now we know how complicated the system is and it's basically everywhere. Are there yeah. particular sites where the immune uh, system will dominate? Yes. Well, I think the one that you can't escape is, is the gut. Um, and it wasn't long until we are going to start talking yes, about the gut. exactly. <laughs> you, you can't not, not them talk about the gut when yeah. you talk about the immune system. They are completely dependent on each other. Um, and it's that dinner party fact of like, oh, did you know most of your immune system's in the gut? Well, it's true. And um, there's good reason for that. I think with a lot of things in biology, the, the form follows the function. So the, the, the structure of the digestive tract, the whole architecture, it's optimised for digestion to get the most out of your food. That creates a vulnerability because it's actually the lining of your digestive tract is only one cell thick. So to me, that's like quite fragile. Mm. You know, there's there's all sorts of things going into your mouth every day. Mm. There's just the general bacteria and, and bugs that are in our environment that we're swallowing. Um, there's things that could be in our food that could make us sick. And just the food itself, how does the immune system know not to respond to that? So mm. because of that, there's maybe about 70 to 80% of your immune cells that line the, the digestive tract and they form all these kind of unique structures that have unique ways to keep a surveillance on what's going on. 
So that's really quite important. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that sort of um, the the very fact that the architecture is only one cell thick yeah. shows you why it's so important to have yeah. immune cells there. Exactly. Because we're in constant com- communication with our environment yeah. via our thirty centimeter long yeah. um, uh, digestive sac, or the, the first part of it anyway. Um, and and that's why you know it's it's, it's just a natural evolution yes. as to why we have yeah, immune cells in exactly. those areas. Yeah, and and you know I think it's such a portal for um, infection. You know that we have to have those defenses. That there. Mm. It's interesting then to talk about the microbiome of the gut. This is getting a lot of airtime. People are getting more aware of the microbiome. And what we do know that if you do not have a microbiome, then your immune system does not develop. It's mm. it's completely uh, reliant on the colonization after birth of our microbiome to develop fully. So I think that's what, another reason why we should take care of our gut microbiome. Mm, yeah, it's um, one of those reasons why we're seeing with uh, C-sections and yes. versus natural delivery. Yes. Those babies who have C-sections are more at risk yes. of having A to P, so allergic reactions yep. and issues yep. like asthma and eczema and stuff like that. Definitely. Not to say that that's a definite. Uh, no, you know, it's definite case study. You you're definitely going to get asthma, yeah. but uh, you're certainly more at risk because of the um, issues with poor yeah. microbial development in the yeah uh, in exactly. The and um, there's a lot of work trying to unpick those mechanisms because I think that's going to be really important to understand Mm. that leads quite nicely on to the point that much of your immunity is actually set up in childhood so many people who might be thinking oh I've got a terrible immune system perhaps there are elements of what happened in those very early years Mm. that have had downstream consequences and I think it's always helpful to think about what you can Effect and you know instead of focusing on oh I was a C-section baby or yeah. I wasn't breastfed or yeah. uh, these things it's you know you can't change those so it's mm. better to think about what we can change exactly it's a, I have a lot of patients actually in general practice who uh, over the last twenty years of their life uh, young patients twenty or thirty years they had recurrent illnesses as kids yeah. and you can almost map a pattern with antibiotic use and C-section and, and not yeah. breathed and all the other factors beyond yeah. just uh, nutrition and, and medications yeah. that may have led to them having issues with their guts or yes. issues with eczema, dry skin and a, a whole spectrum of different uh, diseases yes. because of uh, a poor microbial environment. That isn't to say that they are they're sentenced to that for no. life but there are certainly things that we'll yeah. end up talking about about how we can actually encourage exactly. microbial development and yeah you might just have a different set point because of those early events that happen because you're you're more or less sterile when you're born mm. um, and then you're subsequently colonised as soon as you enter into this microbial world and it's 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 useful to think of it as, you know, the microbes were there before us, so we've evolved with them. We mm. have to find a way to sort of have a, a mutual relationship. So mm. they actually do quite a lot for us in the gut. Um, they themselves are part of our immune defence. So we, we talk about the microbial barrier yeah. because they outcompete with any bad bacteria that could be coming in through the mouth and not giving them any space. Um, and they also make sure that those that delicate barrier of our, our gut is really strong and really tight. Um, and this is an area of where I used to actually do a lot of research on when I was in Switzerland is this whole idea of leaky gut, which I think yeah, is one of those kind yeah. of woo-woo terms. It is, yeah. yeah. But it's, 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 it's weird because if you type in leaky gut yes. into like PubMed, you'll, you won't get much. No. But if you type in intestinal hyperpermeability, yeah. that's when you get, oh, okay, there is actually a lot yes. of science behind yeah. this. Yeah. Exactly. The science has sort of always been there. And I guess the leaky gut term kind of existed in a parallel woo-woo world. And yeah. now the 
two are kind of converging. Mm. And um, yeah, yeah. So the, you'd actually done some research in this. Yeah. So that was uh, a lot of the work when I, I worked out in Switzerland, mm-hmm. um, trying to understand. So I actually worked for a pharmaceutical company. I wasn't making drugs, but they employed me to try and understand what was going on in a normal situation in the gut in terms of the immune system to try and figure out, okay, what happens when that's perturbed and then can we intervene with something? So they were kind of hoping that I would give them some drug targets. But I was just like, oh, this is amazing. I can unpick the science, what's going on. And sometimes you have to know what's happening in a normal situation to know how that goes wrong. And in a normal situation, those tight junctions that exist between these uh, these one-cell thick uh, lining, they they increase and they decrease, right? They become more leaky and they become less leaky. But that's normal. That's normal. I think that's Mm. a really important thing to point out because people can get very confused if they start Mm. doctor Googling leaky gut. But it is a normal physiological phenomenon there's actually certain um, components of our diet that can exacerbate that leakiness Mm -hmm. Um, the two really well known ones are are fat and particularly saturated fat and the fructose from Mm -hmm. fruit sugars Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that we should avoid those things because there's actually a lot of evidence that if you're consuming fat or saturated fat or fructose with fiber Mm -hmm. and with phytonutrients that is actually fueling the bacteria in your gut, your microbiome, to produce particular things, short-chain fatty acids being one of those, that help seal up the gut again. Mm-hmm. So it's actually quite useful to open the gut when you're digesting food to facilitate the whole uh, digestion and getting the nutrients into the body. And then the fibre helps to shut it back, back up again. So would you say it's less about having a leaky gut or yeah. having a, a, a permeability of your gut and more about the timing of how long you expose yes. those tight junctions to be open essentially uh, versus closed. Yes, I think that's the picture that's starting to emerge and that I think ties in quite nicely to dietary patterns um, rather than focusing on specific nutrients. Mm. So um how many times a day we're opening up the gut. And one of the reasons that opening the gut up is is detrimental for the body is because the, the microbiome that lives inside our gut can slip through those holes mm. into the bloodstream and all around the body. And while those are considered our good bacteria because they live in the gut and they do a lot of good things for us, when they get in the wrong place, they're just the same as any other bad bacteria. Mm. They have the same molecular patterns on them that send an alarm signal to the immune system. They switch on inflammation. Um, and this can all be happening at a sort of low level that you wouldn't perhaps even be aware of. There mm. is sort of no firm signs and symptoms of yeah. this going on but I think cumulatively over a long period of time yeah, then it could be that we start to see some, some damage going yeah. on and, and things springing up it's, so, it's, I think it's quite important for, for the listeners to understand that um, your immune system is very much related to the inflammation response Yes, and it's uh, essentially mediated by the immune system so when you need to have uh, a response to uh, a bacterial infection a virus or, or even yes. normal colonisation of, of your gut yeah. um, it will elicit this inflammatory response yeah. and especially suppose it goes back to this timing it's like okay you can have a little bit of inflammation when you eat because that is very normal yes yeah but when you when you're eating for long periods of time so actually when you're grazing or when you're having the wrong sorts of foods and it's this constant sort of um, exposure that's when you have this low grade inflammation exactly to meta-inflammation in the literature 
that um, can lead to uh, ill health outcomes. Yes, and yes. I think inflammation is just another topic that yes, we probably need to spend I another know. podcast yeah. talking about. I mean, but. I think the one key thing maybe to talk about with regard to inflammation is that it's it's acute by design. So it's only ever supposed to be a short-term thing. Mm. And then if it's happening all the time, it starts to take its toll on the body. Mm. And we, we call it chronic, so it's more of a long-term thing. But um, yeah, the, the leaky gut thing, I think people shouldn't be concerned about uh it's normal but i think that you there's things you can do to prevent leaky gut and fiber and phytonutrients are two of the proven ways that we know help tighten it up again yes yeah, sorry i was going to yeah. say it ties in quite nicely with some of the work that's coming out about time restricted eating yeah and consolidating eating into certain times of the day rather mm. than the, the snacking yeah. Constantly, because eating is, is inflammatory. And again, that's normal, but you don't want to be doing it all the time yeah. because it's just another load that your body has to deal with. Absolutely. So. When I talk about eating being inflammatory, it just raises a lot of alarm bells. <laughs> I know. Like, eating causes inflammation. Everyone's like, what? I think but, about uh, it, everything through like the scientific lens. So uh, to me, it's it's normal because I know what I mean. But yeah. I think when you say it to other people, they're like, oh, you know, uh, it's, it's not that you shouldn't eat, but maybe yeah. think about yeah. <laughs> how you're eating. Um, and again, I think it just plays into modern life. Like, it's hard to sit down and have a meal. Mm. Um, and it's, it, you know, everything is rushing. Everything around us tells us to snack. So I, I lived in Switzerland for, for a long time and I came back to the UK two years ago. And I was kind of like, this is, everything is prepackaged into little things f- telling you that you need to eat on the go. And that, that doesn't really happen in Switzerland. I found it quite a strange observation, like coming back to the UK. And, and you have to also think about the environmental impact of that because they're all wrapped in single-use plastic. Like, do we need to have so many little snack bars yeah. and snack pots and you know everything? I is... think that's one of the many factors that could potentially explain the French paradox. So yes, everyone looks definitely. at the macronutrient combination, or oh, they have loads of saturated fat, they have loads of you know meat yes. in their diet, but actually they spend an hour for lunch. Yes, and this yeah. whole concept of grab and go sandwiches yeah. is just not there. And I yeah. think the process of eating and uh, the sense that they get uh, around lunchtime being their time yes. is yeah. very telling for yeah. why they might have lower rates of uh, cardiovascular Definitely. disease. And, and Despite having illnesses. some of the dietary red flags. I, I really noticed this in Switzerland, which again is a country that has a um, um, really good health span. Um, and it's a, it's a different set up to the UK so you can't really compare but um, I was working for a large company and they had this huge campus um, and at 11.30, the Swiss always started really early, at 11.30 every day they trooped down to the, the different restaurants and stuff on the campus to have lunch and everybody ate together and lunch was like one hour one hour, one and a half hours. And the canteen was only open between like 11.30 and 1. So you had to eat in that window. Um, and, and you know, my colleagues were having like a roasting, which is like the fried potato <laughs> covered in cheese with a fried egg on top. Oh my God. Bacon. Um, there'd always be some dessert or cake, then coffee. But it was like a whole like process. Everybody got away from their desk. Yeah. And in the beginning, I found this like, I can't eat this for lunch. <laughs> Sounds like Christmas lunch every day. Um, (laughs) But, you know, none of my colleagues were very unfit or, you know, looked uh, overweight or, you know, everybody um, was very active as well as part of the culture and the lifestyle. But um, I think it's, yeah, the the snacking culture is not served as well. And it's hard to kind of put your finger on what it is about it. But um, I'm really convinced that this is not 
um, helping us yeah, in some yeah. sense. And if we can get back to something a bit more traditional, a bit more boring, yeah. maybe it's going to be a bit useful. I think using that evolutionary perspective about around time-restricted eating, or yeah. as I like to call it, defined periods of eating, yes. it sounds a little bit, a little bit less intrusive, yeah. a little bit less like restrictive, uh, you know, restrictive exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, some really interesting research coming out from yes. uh, all the West Coast of America uh, looking at time-restricted feeding, where you don't change the calorific content of your no, food at no, all. Exactly. You just change when you eat it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very actionable tool for a lot of people so, and it's yeah. something that I talked about in my first book The Doctor's Kitchen but also in my second book Eat to Be Illness where you know that as a principle of healthy yeah. eating just the timing of food is something that could potentially have very good effects yeah exactly I think we're just so over the time of restriction like adding that restriction onto your life if you're trying oh I'll only have this really low calorie salad that's not going to satisfy me for lunch and leave me just thinking oh I want to eat all the food all mm. afternoon I think that it's not it's not been helpful and we have to move away from that and start enjoying foods mm. definitely in terms of um, the immune system there's evidence that endorphins are really helpful in how the immune system works so if you're going on holiday and you find that you might have if you have an autoimmune disease or an allergy or some kind of food intolerance it might suddenly become a lot better when you go on holiday and you just attribute that to eating a different kind of food but it might be because you're happy yeah. when you're eating and it actually boosts these regulatory t-cells that we have in our body that that sort of gently tap the brakes on the immune system and keep it in check so i think there's a lot to be said for like you know how you're feeling when you're eating and what you're doing in your day-to-day life so definitely managing I mean, the stress even on an anecdotal level yeah. like you know i have patients that come in and they're they're, they're stressed at work yes. they're working long hours uh, obviously there's there's loads of confoundings in the fact that they're probably reducing their sleep yes. they're probably not eating right yeah but certainly stress uh have an impact on the likelihood of you have suffering a viral illness yeah it's certainly there in my opinion yes definitely yeah, yeah no there is there is evidence to to suggest that i mean in, in the short term actually stressors are quite useful for the immune system Mm. they clear out a lot of inflammation and they can actually get rid of a lot of old and aging cells and give space for new cells Mm. because we have this concept in immunology of the immunological space so you can only have so many immune cells in your body at one time and as we get older they start to age you want to get rid of some of the old ones bring in some of the new ones and stresses like running away from something and, and um, or some really short intense exercise or mm. something that is quite stressful but very acute that can actually be quite beneficial for the immune system but when it becomes either a chronic long term stress so you have to care for a sick relative or um, or short intermittent stresses so lots of frequent times when you're becoming stressed it's maladaptive so the immune system actually becomes less responsive to that mm. cortisol effect yeah. and you lose the benefits of sort of more acute stresses to the yeah. overall health of the immune system I've um, I've been coming across a lot of research looking at um, fasting as well as uh, yes. time restricted eating yes. and, and its impact on the immune system through the lens of not only um, autoimmune issues yeah. and uh, diabetes in terms of therapeutics but uh, also cancer as well yes. um, yeah. which I think I mean first it's, to caveat it it's a, there's very small research studies it's, it's very it's not uh, practice at the moment it's not no. in um, uh, first line practice and obviously a lot of people who have issues around eating disordered yes. eating shouldn't certainly not engage in any fasting practices having said that 
it is quite interesting from an immunological perspective. Yes, definitely. I think the research coming out is really exciting and I'm really curious to see how that evolves. Um, It is very experimental at the moment, but again, fasting is considered another stress on the body. So the immune system is highly dependent on all nutrients. Um, So all the macros, it needs protein and carbohydrates and fats and all your vitamins and minerals. These are all necessary to help the normal running of the immune system. And they're really good at sensing nutrient status. So they know what's going on and they can respond appropriately and different nutrient sort of profiles in the body or metabolic profiles can seem to influence the fate of immune cells to go down either more regulatory paths or more inflammatory paths. So it seems to be like manipulating that could help um, redirect the immune system away from being quite uh, an autoimmune phenotype. So help people with that. Also, uh, fasting in itself will kill off any vulnerable immune cells. So as they age, yeah. Um, they're more likely to go wrong. Like anything with time, you know, as your car gets older, it's more likely to be a bit faulty. Mm. And um, sometimes there is a time where you just, you know, it's... It's, um, it's time to change the car. Time to change, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Get rid of that. And, and things like fasting, so reducing nutrient availability makes those kind of older cells a bit more vulnerable. And they're more likely to pop and yeah. um, go through apoptosis, which is this process that removes them. And then you have more space to repopulate uh, with new immune cells. Yeah. So. I, I like this because uh, there's lots of arguments for and against it, right? So yes. the process of fasting, upregulating autophagy, which is yes. the self-regulation where you clear out the old dead yeah, cells, senescent exactly. cells that yeah. are sort of like hanging around. They're yeah. not really doing much. They're not really functioning. More but they and then wrong. Exactly. Yeah. And they emit like mild inflammation signals yeah. And you know that that can so clearing that is is great, and then mm-hmm. also going back to what we were talking about, where you essentially give your gut a break yes. from digestion, the tight exactly. junctions that can also reduce your immune cell response. Yeah. But then also conversely, if you're not eating, then your bacteria are not being uh, provided with a food source. Yes. And they could uh, essentially yeah. start damaging the lining exactly. of your gut. So yeah. Everyone's like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do I fast? Do I not fast? <laughs> exactly. And- I think it's finding that sweet spot and we don't we don't know what that is. Um, yeah, so the, I think the microbiome is a really important point because your your gut is lined with mucus, which is essentially like a kind of carbohydrate source. For, so if they haven't got any food, eventually they just start eating the mucus, which is part of our defence. It's a barrier. And then once that goes, your, your gut lining is more vulnerable. But there's definitely a window whereby mm. fasting is having the beneficial effects before it tips over into the um, more negative effects. Exactly. And there's a lot of yeah. speculation as to how many hours or days that you yeah. should be fasting to give you this sort of reboot and I think the truth is that we don't know conclusively and and we're not able to sort of dish out that um, to patients or the general public yet but I think there's a lot of trials and a lot of a lot of things are going to come out there's a, there's a lot of self-experimentation I'm finding of researchers themselves mm-hmm. who are trying to experiment with, with fasting. I haven't done it yet myself, yeah. but I'd be super interested to see what the effects are, but actually conducted like an experiment. So yes. measuring my uh, my um, vitals before and after and some yeah. inflammatory markers and, and the rest of it. But I think it's going to be really, really hard uh, just looking forward 
to demonstrate what the sweet spot is yes. for the general population. It might be quite a unique thing, exactly. individual to the person. The age of the person might be quite important yeah. as well. So, yeah, as well, and, and that's before we even think about like the mental health impacts yeah. as well. Of yeah, like exactly. Declining yourself to have food when there's so much food around. Yeah. And that, that could potentially, for certain people, serve to increase your cortisol response, increase your stress around food and actually lead to an overall negative effect, which is something you have to balance. But uh, that's why I'm just a big fan of the defined eating period. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's something (laughs) I've been doing for quite a long time now. And I do it with my kids as a practice of getting them used to knowing what a meal is, that we sit down and we enjoy our food and we talk and it's it's family time, Um, rather than being like, oh, you you only eat at these times of the day. But they know what breakfast, lunch and dinner is. Mm -hmm. And gently kind of um, not put them in a situation where they think it's normal to snack all day. So yeah, just exactly. Kind of, and making mealtimes like a happy time. That yeah, because there was this myth, wasn't there? Like, you know, if you graze a little bit throughout yeah. the whole day, it'll increase your metabolic well, energy yeah, and yeah. then reduce your weight and all the rest of it. But generally what I mean by defined eating periods are anywhere between 10 and 12 hours yes, in the day yeah. where those are the times when you eat yeah. and everything around that you try and keep clear, yeah. obviously within reason. For example, today's Friday. I'm yeah. going to go out for dinner with a couple of my Lovely. friends I haven't seen for about a month. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we're gonna eat <laughs> yeah exactly yeah Wednesday night I had a Christmas party and you know I was eating dinner way later than normal yeah. I normally eat with my kids so it's quite early that they have dinner but you know that's that's the thing the beauty of doing everything most of the time uh-huh. that you've got that buffer for you know when you let your hair down and yeah it's interesting recently I was writing an article around this whole hypothesis about the inflammatory load of the gut and um, I was trying to find out why we have these guidelines to eat little and often and this dogma Mm. that is really in people's heads that they can't go more than three hours because you know like something terrible will happen if I don't get food and and I was trying to figure out where that had come from what it was based on and most of it was just kind of assuming that we could stabilize insulin levels Ah, by you know having the food kind of little and often and there was no sort of hard fast evidence on any other reason or why why that sort of evolved and it's just one of those things that people must have thought that seems sensible yeah and and no one ever stopped to think whether that is actually the best guideline that's really strange because actually if you look at some fasting studies and i think they go back really far uh, because it's quite unethical to to maintain (laughs) fasting for these patients but they would go weeks and weeks of of just not having any food yeah and they were maintaining a glucose level because you essentially go into a state where you start burning your fat yeah but then when you're running out of fat you're also burning your protein so you're maintaining a glucose level because glucose is fundamentally one of the most important uh, fuel sources we have for all of our cells in the body. So even if you're not taking in glucose, your body is still adapted to having a glucose level. So this whole process of like eating little and often to maintain a glucose and an insulin level that's low, like doesn't doesn't seem to make sense. Well, if I I haven't eaten and I... I have energy stored on my body. My body just needs to know how to use it. And yeah. that's an adaptation and that, you know, is something that you need to, to be able to do. And yeah, I think we've kind of lost touch with our intuition about eating. I Absolutely. Yeah. Something I definitely noticed moving back from Switzerland to the mm. UK. Mm. There, everything felt quite intuitive. Um, you know, people were eating these huge lunches. And I remember <laughs> saying to my colleague Sven, like, you know, what do you, what do you have for dinner? And he's like, well... You know, in winter, I'd have maybe a soup. 
And then in the summer, maybe a salad. Ah, okay. Around like five, six o'clock when he got home. But he'd wow. had this huge, huge lunch. And yeah. was, there was nowhere to snack in the, in the whole campus. You know, there was maybe one or two vending machines that you could find somewhere and, in, in, you know, that would have food available. But the, the, the restaurants and the canteen were just literally open during lunch and then shut again. And it yeah. was kind of just like, that's normal because that's lunchtime. And there was not the kind of um, grazing it's definitely uh, not like what it's like here there's yeah. like 10 stores where you can get any sorts of food and I just that. think you have to cut through the noise and think what are my needs do I need all these little plastic pots of snacks all the time or you know can I wait till lunch and exactly, have something yeah. substantial that's not going to make me feel like I want to eat again before dinner Autoimmunity is a big topic, I feel, uh, these yes. days. Like, uh, What is your impression of why we are seeing increasing rates of autoimmunity across the board? Yeah. I mean, it's not just celiac disease we're talking about. It's not just uh, IBD, yeah. but ev- everything that I'm seeing, uh, yes. certainly from an anecdotal uh, frontline NHS point of view, it's just going up and up and up. Yes. And there's so many different theories that, you know, sanitation, the hygiene hypothesis and all these different yeah. things. It's probably going to be a combination of a whole bunch yeah. of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like whenever I'm um, teaching uh, at the university, I'm like, nothing in immunology is straightforward. Most questions will be answered well. It depends. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it's definitely multifactorial. You cannot deny that there is an increase in the prevalence of autoimmune diseases and also allergies, which is just when your immune system is going awry. There's definitely a genetic component to it. Um, in fact, this going back to in the beginning when I mentioned about how we're all genetically very different, there's some genes that, that predispose you to autoimmunity that actually protect you from things like HIV. So it's really unique. So there's a a particular type of um, compatibility gene that protects from ankylosing spondylitis. So it's quite a horrible autoimmune disease. Um, And if you have that gene, you've got a really high risk of getting ankylosing spondylitis. Uh It's not sufficient, Mm -hmm. but it's a really high risk. but uh, it it affects how the HIV virus can um, proliferate in your mm-hmm. T cells, mm-hmm. and it actually is makes you highly protected from HIV. So it just goes to show that, that the That's immune amazing. system, yeah, it's <laughs> it's really cool. You yeah. should look it up. Yeah. To me, it's just that beauty of the immune system where it's there's always a compromise. It's like give and take a little bit. So one gene might predispose you to autoimmunity, yeah. but it might protect you from something really nasty which is perhaps why evolutionarily we've held on to it yeah it's kind of like sickle cell right if yes. you have the trait of sickle cell yeah. uh, you're protected against malaria yeah. because the malaria if when you, if you're affected by malarial um virus then your yeah. cell will auto destruct yeah the yeah. the other kind of interesting thing about um autoimmune disease is that almost 80 percent of them are in women so I always think that man flu is real, but women <laughs> yeah. get more autoimmune diseases <laughs> because there's evidence you heard it that here. <laughs> man flu is real, yeah. guys. Men um, seem to suffer for longer with infections, whereas uh-huh. women have much more aggressive uh-huh. immune responses, and sometimes that tips over into autoimmunity. Ah, okay. So boosting so, your immune system again. Yeah, uh, is it might not, not actually be. Most of uh, autoimmune diseases seem to spring up in women. Um, around the age 20s, 30s, 40s. And it actually, your risk seems to decrease after the menopause. So mm. we know that there's something to do with the hormones. Gotcha. We know that the immune cells have receptors for both estrogen and progesterone. And also testosterone is involved as well. Testosterone seems to be 
a little bit immune regulating, which is why men don't seem to have an as aggressive immune response. So they're not as good as fighting off infections as yeah. women. But it's a really complicated picture. Um, So perhaps regulating your hormones is going to be something that's, you know, going to take care of your uh, body and and help with your autoimmune risk. But there's so many theories about... um, Definitely, yeah. And actually, this is why, like, uh, the science is complex, but sometimes the solution for some people, and certainly there is some evidence to show, uh, is that the... The, the solutions just in, involve putting your body in the best environment as possible yes. where you allow your body to operate functionally, optimally. Yes. Yeah. And um, this is why I'm quite interested in the uh, process of autoimmune protocols and autoimmune diets yes. yeah. that are essentially taking out a lot of processed uh, foods, yeah. introducing more whole foods. Yeah. And there are certain ones, you know, there's various shades of grey, right? There's the whole food plant-based diet, there's mm-hmm. the whole food paleolithic style diets, yeah. there's even a carnivorous diet I don't know if you've heard of that. It's, I actually uh, met someone who was doing that oh, really? the other week. I couldn't keep a straight face. Okay. I, was just like, I was like, I'm so curious. Yeah. I want to ask you so many questions. I know. They it's, were a yoga teacher. And oh, I was really? just in the yoga class. Oh, wow. Kind of but they were yoga teacher. quite like vocal about only eating meat. And, okay. I just wanted to ask her so many questions, yeah. but it didn't. I just, <laughs> I just, you know, from what we know about uh, carbohydrates and yeah. fiber and the need for your yeah. to feed your microbiota, it just doesn't sound very intuitive. I was kind of thinking, come back in, in, in 30 years of only eating meat and then see how things are. Yeah. Because, no, I can't imagine that's going to be very good. You know, for you. she was also like, you know, really early 20s. And I think when I was that young, I could do a lot of stuff to my body and it bounced back about- because I was. <laughs> You know, I was young enough to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, probably. But, but saying that, autoimmune protocols have been very effective, specifically yeah. with regard to inflammatory bowel disease. Um, yes. So there's lots of evidence, or well, lots of theories as to why that might be the case. Yes. There might be some certain food intolerances. There might be some uh, aspects of the microbial population, yes. how it differs with whole food. So Yeah, exactly. That's For me, I think that's probably one of the biggest impacts that makes a lot of these protocols successful is depending on a dysbiosis in in the patient. So there is a lot of evidence that having a dysbiosis in your microbiome can be a trigger for autoimmunity. So I mentioned that there's genetic component, there's a hormonal component, there's various different environmental things that can be all, you're sort of looking to generate the perfect storm of um, events that are necessary and sufficient to develop an autoimmune disease. And I know that um, the microbiome is one of those. Yeah. So if the, if the microbiome is perturbed, this could be due to having an infection or um, antibiotics, for example. Um, then those bacteria are, are going to be producing different things. So we're feeding them, they're eating the food we eat, and they're producing, we call them postbiotics. So it's like your own personalised pharmacy of, of my, uh, molecules from them eating your food. And if the bacteria are a bit off or you don't have the right populations in the right proportions, perhaps there's an absence of those metabolites that they're producing or they're producing different ones, and this is exacerbating an autoimmune 
uh, disease that mm. you might have. Mm. But we're speaking kind of broad strokes because obviously there's so many different autoimmune diseases and there's no one single trigger. Exactly. It's going to be this kind of perfect storm. Yeah, it's going to be a mixture of your genomics, uh, uh, yeah. your nutrition and also your lifestyle. And I think that's probably a good way to sort of segue into talking about food. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because uh, we are, I mean, there's so many different topics that we could talk about. Yeah. There's the mitochondrial stuff, there's the uh, hormesis, and I'm fascinated yes. by plant uh, hormetics. I yes. think that, that yeah. it is a very good metaphor for um, uh, for, for how we are as human beings, mm-hmm. this whole constant state of balance. Yeah. In fact, actually, you've got a really good definition of uh, hormesis on your website. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I've been reading your, I've been reading your uh, blogs. <laughs> I think it's great. But would you would you mind talking about what hormesis actually means? Yeah, so hormesis is, is a really interesting concept. And I think um, it, it plays into that, the poisons in the dose, you know, um, a lot of things are good for us, but it depends on how much we're having. You know, too much of anything is probably going to give us some kind of unpleasant um, symptoms, whether that's exercise or a particular food and you just eat too much of it. Um, or and water. Not- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So hormesis is, um, yeah, this sort of biophysic response where small amounts of something that's quite stressful for the body can actually um, promote an adaptation to deal with that better so increasing the resilience whereas high amounts can just be toxic and um, you find that with food in terms of these phytonutrients so those are things that are part of the plant's defences that you know they can't run away so they produce these chemicals when they're damaged or chopped I know you've had um, discussions on the pod before yeah we discussed this with Dr Anita who's uh, yeah. a colleague of ours uh, is a gynecologist and we talked about um, phytonutrients in particular turmeric turmeric and so if you're a friend and how these actually exhibit a, a, a mild noxious effect to the body but an overall resilient compensatory yes. response which exactly. is why these to benefits yeah. which I think is I think I think it's awesome because there's this whole phenomenon of like introducing ingredients into your body to detox or to uh, reduce inflammation but actually what these yeah. <laughs> ingredients are doing is the exact opposite in a small yeah. amount and it's encouraging your body to actually be more resilient yes exactly and, uh, and it's getting rid of these old immune cells that might be going wrong because yeah. they're more susceptible to the stress of these phytonutrients that are um exhibiting this kind of hormetic stress on our body so yeah i think the power the interesting thing about phytonutrients is um that they're not actually part of our rda are they this recommended daily allowance yeah. we all know that we should have so much vitamin c da 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 yeah. but um people don't really know about phytonutrients in of which sense. there are thousands of them yeah, as well and like, so it's quite hard to quantify we, we haven't really studied them as well as no. we'd like to there's probably point. one or two that are quite highly studied you mentioned sulforaphane which i yeah. think is a great example turmeric or curcumin which is the active ingredient mm. um but interestingly, they did some studies with them, um, turmeric that had the curcumin removed, uh-huh. and they found it still had um, some of the benefits uh, of the spice. So it shows you it's not just the it's not just curcumin. one thing. Yeah. yeah, and I think we've we've done the same thing with uh, resveratrol that you find yes. in grape and red wine, yeah. and you know some studies show it does have a benefit, others don't, and it's really about getting back to eating whole as oh, much as yes. possible because yeah. your humble apple will have pectins and it will have. Uh, quercetin and a whole yeah. bunch of other phytochemicals that we probably haven't even discovered yet yeah. that leads to ultimate benefits. This yeah. is why eating an apple a day 
I don't want to spend the rest of the, <laughs> we don't need to finish the rest of that line. But you know, it's it's really important. So mm-hmm. going to food and specific ingredients, there yes. isn't actually one specific set no. of ingredients. Really, it's just about eating. Exactly the rainbow. So I have my kind of key things that I like to focus on because mm-hmm. people love to ask me like, how do I boost my immune <laughs> yeah, system? Yeah, yeah. And it's always things like vitamin C, vitamin E, yeah. and of course your your immune system needs, as I said before, it needs all of the the macronutrients it needs proteins fiber um carbohydrates fats but it also needs all of the micronutrients the vitamins and minerals that that you know you've we all know about it and you have the recommended daily allowance and you'll find for. in a general balanced diet actually yes, and that's what exactly. I find most people are hitting the RDA for a lot of things yeah but it's the phytonutrients that we that's don't have an RDA for exactly that it's may lead to the op- bit, health optimization. Yeah. yeah and there's little to no evidence for supplementing with vitamins and minerals to for want of a better word boost your immune system better than it's already at baseline vitamin and mineral supplements protect from diseases of deficiency Mm -hmm. so if you're deficient they will protect from that but I think they've kind of been boosted up to some kind of um, you know gold status where they offer some extra benefits in high amounts and some of the the studies are quite interesting because it actually shows that eating a diet rich in vitamin E for example is associated with a lot of um, health span and, and health benefits in the long term but vitamin E supplements uh, at certain doses are actually quite toxic. Yeah. So it shows you that the dietary context is really much more useful mm. than a supplement on its own. So there's very little evidence to supplement unless you're plugging specific holes in your diet or um, you know that you're deficient in things for your, your vitamins and minerals. And when you think um, about what a diet looks like that is high in vitamin C and E, yeah. for example, yeah. you'll realise you know that's dark and leafy vegetables, yeah. it's lots of citrus fruit, it's nuts and seeds, yeah. which are really good sources of other sorts of minerals like zinc and magnesium. And uh, So it's, it's no wonder that the dietary component yes. uh, is so much more efficient uh, and beneficial than just yeah. isolating one particular element of the diet exactly it. it's like that multi-pronged approach there's been numerous attempts to try and put sulforaphane in a capsule yeah <laughs> yeah i've seen it's those, just yeah. not really um proved very well i mean i think there was a guy in in, in the u.s that, that works quite a lot on your sulforaphane and he looked at a lot of the supplements that were out there and tested them and it's so hard to capture the bioavailability and put it in a pill and have that shelf stable form that you can take um, opposed to getting it fresh from cruciferous vegetables. Absolutely. It's just, uh, there's real problems with like bioavailability. Mm. Um, and there's also been numerous studies of, you know, things like garlic. So garlic's quite known for being um, a good treatment to, it's got kind of antiviral properties. And so people make garlic supplements. But there's a lot of uh, studies showing that these can be quite toxic because they have to go through the liver. And um, you don't quite know what dose you should be aiming for when you're randomly buying a supplement, opposed to just putting some garlic in your cooking. I think yeah. this is one of the things I love about your cooking is that yeah. <laughs> you make um, you make variety from like from quite an, like a minimal amount of things because you're introducing a lot of herbs and spices yeah. and they all contain phytonutrients. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of jazzing up real basic staples that you might have in your cupboard and just 
tipping over the edge to the, to give them that extra bit of um, yeah, nutrition. Yeah, extra boost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which and I, I think, I, think is I read um, one of your blogs, uh, and it's something I've come across before in some studies about crushing garlic and allowing it to yeah. steep for about ten minutes, so yeah. it increases the concentration of allicin. Allicin, yeah, yeah. So I think um, it's these little tips and tricks. Like, there's a reason that we crush garlic. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Like, yeah. a lot of it is just it's intuitive or it's old wives' tales, and I love kind of exploring the science of that and yeah. just kind of bringing that to the surface and um, and things like turmeric you know I'm sure if I walk down the street in London I can get myself a turmeric latte (laughs) but will will that be very bioavailable Mm. will any of it actually get into my blood Mm. or if I make a curry tonight and I throw in lots of black pepper lots of like coconut milk and Mm. different spices that's how you're meant to have turmeric yeah, in a meal yeah. and the bioavailability is so much better than you know a capsule or a, you know are there any latte? other standout herbs that um like uh, alongside ginger <coughs> garlic and uh, onion that that stand out in terms of an immunological uh, sort of no i think it's it's for me it's it's the phytonutrients and it's the fiber mm. so the fiber is having that direct effect on the microbiome they are the ones that are really instructing your immune system to get that right balance. Um, They're producing this whole cacophony of different nutrients as they digest your food. So you've got to give them the right stuff and they're going to produce the right things. And they can measure them in the blood. Now, I know that... Um, there's numerous studies looking at these sort of postbiotics, the things the bacteria are producing. Yeah. And, you know, they're going all over the body and having an effect on it. So I always think it's fiber, it's phytos, and then the right fats. So those Great. are my kind of three things that I'm big on. What kind of, what are your favorite types of fats? So fats, um, definitely minimizing like the trans fats. We know these are not yeah. good for us. Um I guess I, I really think about the omega-3, omega-6 ratio okay. and how those work. So I used to work on um, resolution of inflammation and chronic inflammation. And um, the omega-3s and omega-6s get incorporated into the, the cell membranes. And they, they can hang around for quite a long time. So if you think of what you're consuming in your diet, you know, three, four months down the line, that might still be inside your cell membranes. Yeah, so it's kind yeah. of That's always really good to have the yeah, long-term yeah. <laughs> picture. Um, and omega-6s are important, uh-huh. but they help us, uh, they help our immune cells to really produce those inflammatory responses mm. that help get rid of infections mm. and fight the, the various bugs that are around us. So they are important. And then the omega-3 fats switch to resolution so inflammation is a cyclic process we have the the firefighting part and then there's an actual active switch that comes only when you have that first part that promotes resolution and resolution is active we we tend to kind of forget about resolution it's like that just passively happens at the end of an infection Mm. Um, but the omega-3s are really important and they kind of mitigate and offset the omega-6s but if you have a diet that's quite high in omega-6 fats the omega-3s don't really get a look in. So yeah. you really have to work on um, boosting the omega-3s and then reducing yeah. the omega-6s and when to you find actually, the ratio. When you concentrate on whole sources of fats and, and yeah. whole foods, really you're going to get that natural ratio, yeah. which is either equivalent or one to four, I believe, yes. which yeah. is what we've ele- evolutionarily been adapted yeah. to. It's the introduction, uh, introduction of um, desirous oils, processed yeah. foods, uh, yeah. poor quality fats, essentially. Yes. That put us up in the omega six, which is yeah. still important. Like you've, yes, like, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you point that out because a lot of people yeah. are just very fearful. 
for love of omega six, but it's very important for our stress response. Yeah. Um, but it's just focusing on the whole foods, you'll naturally get that balance. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. So yeah, big on the omega threes, and I think where you get them from is is yeah, kind of interesting as well. Like fish and we have to think about the sort of environmental impact of that and the vegan sources it's a little bit harder for a body to get those yeah so i recommend um algae sources um Ah, there's some really good sources of uh, omega-3 in the long chain format so epa and dha that you can get from algae uh but they're a little bit more expensive and less easy to find as well i find for uh, for certain people you can get them online these days rather than uh, i feel like over the years when they've started to focus on particular nutrients and the immune response we kind of we know vitamin c is important it's not like the magic bullet but it kind of didn't yield a lot of useful information to focus on the individual vitamins or nutrients and so they started to look at dietary patterns Uh and this is where we really see the mediterranean style diet lots of antioxidants um and it sort of depends where you live as well if you have a stressful life in a big city you're exposed to a lot of pollution you might have a greater need for antioxidants and again food is the best source Mm. of these because if you take too many and a supplement it can actually be pro-oxidant so yeah. you have to be very careful a lot of people don't realize that about how yeah. uh, vitamin c has a pro-oxidant effect yes, exactly and that's yeah. actually how it may elicit some of its benefits yeah. as well but taken in an isolated format which is very unnatural in terms yeah. of its amount may yeah. lead to some side effects as exactly well. yeah so yeah the, the fiber the phytos and the good fats. And the good fats. Taking care of your microbiome. <laughs> yeah. There's a, some evidence around prebiotics and probiotics, but I think, again, that's kind of muddy waters because we all have a different starting point, With so you can suggest one particular probiotic that's going to yeah. help. I think we're not there yet, but that's that that's an emerging field. Definitely. There's definitely some evidence of antibiotic use actually making you more susceptible to infection long term yeah so um this i think is something that's it's quite topical because everyone's trying to be a bit more careful with antibiotic use um and it's interesting that using antibiotics might actually end up to you being more susceptible to infection long term so Mm -hmm. hopefully that we can steer and start to change that as people are more careful in prescribing this is something i talk to a lot of my patients about actually about how unnecessary use of antibiotics which a lot of people want still um can actually put them in uh, a a worse state down the line what's your opinion on pre and post uh, probiotics uh, during antibiotic use do you have a a position on that yeah there's definitely uh, some studies looking at that and there's particular strains that they've tried to pinpoint I just feel like because we're all unique in our diversity it's kind of if you want to take a probiotic that might be suggested to be helpful go for it um, perhaps it's a bit of um, placebo effect mm-hmm. but um, I think it's probably worthwhile I think doing all that you can to preserve your microbiome yeah. so feeding it the right things having a good pattern of eating um, particular um, soil-based probiotics so the ones that have a bit more of a 
uh, a shield that helped them get down into the large intestine seemed to be more useful. Um, and I think if it's available to you, then it's perhaps useful to, to yeah. do that. It's a, a conversation I have very often with patients who come into the emergency department, and I often give uh, some antibiotics. And I talk to them about the, a few things that anything yeah. that nurtures their microbiome yeah. will be exactly. likely be beneficial for yeah. them, if not to protect them against the potential negative impacts yeah. of having antibiotics. Exactly. So, Optimizing sleep, reducing yes. your processed and convenience foods and sugar, yes. increasing your whole foods, particularly yeah. uh, with a, a focus on prebiotic fibers, so yeah. chicory, artichokes, yeah, garlic, exactly. onion. It's, um, it's not just one type of fiber, is it? You've got so many different bugs in there. You, exactly. Yeah, I, I see a lot of um, prepared foods that have added fiber, and it's only going to be one or two types. Exactly. And that's not yeah. really... I don't think that's a good message to give to people that they should, uh, oh, I've got my fibre for the day. You, yeah. know, you should really be thinking about different sources. It's too. the whole sources yeah. and the ones that we probably haven't even discovered yet yeah, because this, exactly. this is an emerging field. And So you're a huge advocate of lifestyle as well as uh, yes, the exactly. foods and nutrition and stuff. Yeah. So this is really important from the perspective of immunity as well. Yeah. So we talked a bit about stress and how that yes. might have an Im a negative impact on uh, yeah. immunology or your immune system. Um, are there any certain practices that you like to talk about uh, or yeah, practice well, yourself? The reason that I got into kind of um, looking beyond nutrition was I kind of felt like it was just one leg of the chair. Like you can have the best diet in the world and everything else is not right and you're still going to be um, impacting your immune system. And I think stress is a massive one. So we've, we've mentioned a little bit about that. Uh, and then the other areas that I kind of got interested in was um, sleep and exercise. So exercise is, is fantastic, I think, for all around for health benefits. But there's something quite unique about the uh, exercise in the immune system in terms of health and longevity and this is a personal area that I'm really passionate about because we're living longer but we're not necessarily living well uh -huh. and I personally want to not necessarily live to be 100 but I want to be active and yeah. I want to see my family grow up and um, so I'm really quite interested in longevity and I think it was last year or the year before there was a really fantastic study where they looked at a 70 year old Cyclists, so they're all around 70 and they're in a cycle club, so they're active cyclists. Um, uh, and they compared them to sedentary 20 somethings. And what they found was there's this process that starts um, to decline in immunity from age 20. So we have the thymus gland, um, which is located in the neck, and this is uh, responsible for producing the T cells of the immune system, which are like the master controllers. And from around age 20, your thymus gland actually starts to shrink. And we call it thymic involution. So that's quite a scary thought because, mm. you know, from 20, those T cells are just declining. Mm. Um, and what they found was when they were looking at these sedentary 20-somethings and the really active 70-year-olds, when you're using your skeletal muscle, like the cyclists were, and you're maintaining a muscle mass uh, into old age, those muscles are producing um, a very particular molecule um, um, IL-7 so this is actually stimulating the thymus gland and stopping it from shrinking and they had much better thymus capacity than the sedentary um, 
20 something that's fascinating so it's I'll, I'll have of, to link to that yes, paper yeah. on the show notes it's, for sure uh, but yeah from, uh, I'm definitely going to give a read yeah Professor Janet Lord in Birmingham University I right. think one of the professors on the paper uh, was actually the cyc- went in the cyclist club oh really so, <laughs> yeah a little, little bit biased yeah, there yeah exactly maybe. <laughs> I wonder where they got the sedentary 20 year olds from it yeah was, uh, exactly yeah. but uh, I think movement is so important so not only maintaining muscle mass and the muscles are producing something that's slowing down the aging of your thymus gland it's mm. slowing down the decline in our immune system but movement is activating your lymphatic system so I think we haven't mentioned the lymphatics yeah. yet but that's the, the the sort of super highways of the immune system so it's it's like a circulatory system like your blood but instead of the where the blood is relying on the heart to pump it the immune system of the lymphatics relies on movement mm-hmm. to to move it around and by moving your lymph fluid through the lymphatics you're distributing the cells to all the different parts of your body so they can perform a kind of surveillance f- function so they're going to be moving to the lymph nodes um, to the gut to the lungs so they're protecting and and they're constantly on guard and so movement any kind of movement walking is going to get that going just as you were talking there i just had this Mm -hmm. image of like essentially the evolution of man essentially walking across the plains we're moving we're sleeping adequate amounts we're eating whole natural foods that are minimally processed and we're also eating within that time period as well because we probably wouldn't have been eating in the middle of the night either and that really is a metaphor for how to boost our immune system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For want you know? of a better word. <laughs> to essentially improve mm-hmm. and support our immune system. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which uh, I think we've pretty much summed up in like a whole bunch of yeah. We've been talking for ages. <laughs> so we've got this new part of the show where okay. we do rapid fire questions. Excellent. I took a poll from social media. A whole bunch of questions <laughs> were generated. And we're just going to give you 10 seconds to answer. Oh, pass. <laughs> 10 seconds to, to answer each one. We'll just keep it brief. I know right. we're probably not going to be able to keep it brief. We'll try we'll, and we'll 10 try, seconds. We'll yeah. try and rein in the tangents. Okay, fine. This is probably going to be a complicated one to start off with. But <laughs> should we be aggressively treating fever with over-the-counter medications in when we've got a simple viral illness? Oh, controversial. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let the fever do its thing. If it's going on more than a week go see your doctor fever is productive that is really interesting changing I, tides in, in the information definitely yeah because yeah. i don't think even a lot of doctors are aware of this information yes. that yeah. you know aggressively treating pyrexia yeah a this is i mean this the spiel that i give to a lot of patients particularly young children yeah. who have you know very worried parents and they want to aggressively yeah. like get rid of any fever whatsoever yeah. Don't, doesn't actually lead to positive outcomes. No. But as you know, yeah. we've just learned today about adults, you know, that yeah. actually might lead to worse outcomes. Yes, right? exactly. So reducing the fever might mean you're sick for longer. So, you know, going to the, the pharmacy, getting all those over the counter meds for however many, however much money you spend just so you can struggle through work, it might mean you're just like sick for longer. And I think we should respond to the sickness behaviours. Yeah. So that's what we call. Um, the effect of these immune mediators when we're sick actually having on the brain and telling mm. us to retreat go and sleep go and rest you might not feel like doing anything and yeah. and, and riding out the fever and that's the quickest way to get well because most of these colds and flus are self-limiting yeah. unless you have an underlying health condition exactly but, yeah. yeah and that's where you need to get help and you need to you know certainly take something from mm. your doctor and be directed by your yeah. physician but yeah. uh, certainly I think listening and becoming your, the expert of your own health where your brain is telling you you know yes. what I need to 
I need to rest. I yeah. need to relax. And exactly, definitely. Yeah. Okay, elderberry. Is it worth the hype? <laughs> uh, no, I, I did look into this uh, quite a while ago, and a lot of the studies were funded by uh, the companies that make the, <laughs> the syrups. <laughs> it arises suspicion. Oh, okay. But I do think anything that's a bit comforting and rich in in phytonutrients um, is going to be useful. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that, but anything, yeah, anything. <laughs> any berries or you know, a lot of it's like panacea to make you feel better. Yes, you know, yeah, it's not just one thing. It's going to be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On that note, Jewish mm-hmm. penicillin does that yeah. have an effect? Well, yeah, there's something about something that they find in chicken soup. So, so j- the... j- just to clarify, Jewish penicillin is a, a rich broth of chicken soup and yeah. uh, veggies, and, yes. and yeah, it makes so, you feel absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, the, the L-carnosine, which is found particularly in chicken stock, so it's unfortunately not in the vegetarian version, combined with it, the fact that it's warm and soothing, so it's the steam is, is helping clear the nose and it's going to have all those nice um, vegetables inside and mm. um, they actually affect your immune cells and what they're doing so there are studies on that that's so fantastic yeah. that's good I, I actually put a medicinal broth as a oh, recipe in my first yes. book The Doctor's Kitchen it's the and... first thing I go to when I get sick oh, like my mum's recipe <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah. I add like star anise and clove and garlic oh, and all these yes. different things and it's just I mean and it the tastes steam wonderful. actually because the, the, the reason we're more prone to viruses in winter is because it's cooler and the air inside our nose is a bit cooler and they prefer that so mm. our temperature going up but also steaming bowl of soup and you're inhaling the steam it makes it a bit more uncomfortable for the viruses and it helps your immune cells work a bit better so. that is a top <laughs> tip that's great because i'm aware that the rhinovirus at the back of your throat mm-hmm. uh, thrives at a low temperature yeah. which is why you see them more in winter, yeah, more in winter there's yeah. a whole bunch of different theories yeah. out there it's very interesting <laughs> okay uh loads of people are asking about quick ways to boost immunity but as we probably gathered there's not Get enough sleep most of the time. (laughs) Eat well most of the time. Sleep well most of the time. (laughs) And it's normal to get the odd infection. It's, you know, we live in a microbial world. But when it's, you know, more than you might think is normal, maybe go see your doctor. Is there a way to completely cease a cold if you have one? Or do you just have to roll with it? I think you've got to roll with it. I think this cold is a self-limiting infection in, in normal, healthy adults. And... Again, tune in to what your body is telling you to do. It's probably not telling you to go to work or go to the gym or do any of those things. It's probably making you feel like you don't want to see anyone. You want to lie down and rest and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> Is there a role for daily probiotics? Well, um, yeah, there's all sorts of headlines come out about probiotics. So we don't know if they're working in everyone because we all have a very different starting point and our microbiome is very different. So if you're throwing in a probiotic, whether your body is actually going to make space for that or not. But we do know that they normally only work during the time you're taking them. They don't often set up residence in the body. So mm. if you're taking something and you feel like it's serving you well, you then, know, carry on. then carry yeah, on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. think it's really down to the person. And personally, yeah. I don't take a probiotic every day, but I do make sure I get a whole bunch of different yes, prebiotics. Exactly. Because prebiotics feeding that huge amount. 
population of trillions of different bugs yeah. uh, is probably going to have yeah. the biggest effect rather I than kinda, taking an isolated something. Yeah, when like I think that. about my diet now, I kind of think about um, eating for my bugs as well. And like, you know, what, what do they want? I think it's a very good perspective. It's yeah, kind of like, what do they want? Exactly, because <laughs> our digestion is actually quite basic. And then the bacteria are digesting a lot of it for us and liberating a lot Massively. of the nutrients for from us. So your diet could be amazing, but your, your microbiome's not all there because of you know past antibiotics or whatever and um, you won't be getting the best out of your diet so it's worth kind of you know as a long-term strategy really trying to nurture that I think. Do we have to completely ban sugar to improve our immunity? Oh that's a tricky one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a tricky I one, think yeah. you've got to think about overall dietary pattern um, I, as I mentioned before we know fructose has quite a dramatic effect on the gut barrier that's a fruit sugar but that can be quite easily counteracted with lots of fibre in the diet. Which and you naturally have in a whole yeah, piece of fruit. Yeah, if you're eating yeah. fruit. Yeah, so you kind of have to think about how you're eating overall. Mm. Um, the active part of the immune system that's fighting infection, so we have sort of the active and the more regulating part, it is very glycolytic, so it, it loves sugar. It uses that to fight an infection. That's not to say that eating sugar is going to cause that, but mm. when you already have an infection, um, there is actually some evidence you know the old adage of um feed a cold feed a start cold, a f- yeah. starve a fever because a fever is a much more aggressive immune response um they did do some uh, experiments to look at that and they found that the the reason that you might want to not eat when you have a fever is to maybe just tap the brakes on the immune system because um you're just withholding the glucose and and maybe that's stopping it being too aggressive and stopping you feeling really really sick so but again that's you know over a really short frame of time yeah that you know not a long-term thing so yeah think about the whole picture it's going to be the whole picture yeah Yeah, no definitely yeah you've got to it's i think it's uh we run the risk of demonizing one particular macronutrient and um I just think it's it's quite short-sighted and yeah. uh, you know sugar is like we discussed one of the most important molecules in the body yeah with glucose and there's different monosaccharide forms so I also think you know it's at this time of year it's 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 sharing fun times with colleagues and friends and family and that's tapping into the endorphins yeah. which is also important for your immune system if you're stressed about trying to avoid sugar when we're you know you're literally walking down um, the street with quality street yeah. and <laughs> chocolates and mince pies <laughs> then you know that stress is not you know yeah. you have to sort of look on balance what's exactly. more important yeah. if somebody is on immunosuppressant medications yeah. what should they do to support their immune health I think definitely um, find out if you've got any gaps, um, any deficiencies in any of the key vitamins and minerals. I think vitamin A and vitamin D are quite important mm. for the threshold of the immune system. Again, um, taking care of the diet, there you might have a little bit more need for things like vitamin C, um, but it very depends on if you're deficient or not. And one of the best ways actually to avoid infection is um, good uh, uh, hygiene and and staying out of places where you know there's going to be infection people kind of underestimate that but Mm. um, yeah that's probably uh, a real uh, key thing to avoid and and movement so getting the lymphatic flow going Mm. uh, and really good sleep because um, 
sleep really uh, is detrimental to the natural killer cells. These are real viral and fighting cells that we have in the immune system. So we haven't talked about sleep, actually, but no. there is a question about how sleep uh, impacts immune health. Yeah, there's massive um, changes happen when we sleep in our immune system, which is really, really cool. We have quite, quite a lot of inflammatory cytokines go up in the blood, but the cells go down and a lot of new cells are being produced and redistributed. Um, and there's a lot of drainage of, of all the tissues and the lymphatics. So it's really quite an important restorative time, particularly if you've been sick. Um, giving yourself time to rest and, and get that sleep is really important. Which is why, I suppose, when you get circadian rhythm disruption from yes. travel or from night yeah, shift work, exactly. and there's loads of questions about night shift workers as yeah. well, yeah. Uh, why that actually might lead to recurrent infections or yes. a general sort of fatigue and the yeah. whole plethora yeah. of other things that are happening. It's really interesting, actually, when you start to look at circadian rhythms in the immune system, it's like maybe about um, 80% of the immune system genes are under circadian control, but not all of them. And it's there's a lot of work to try and unpick what aspects of the immune system are and are not under circadian control and why that might be. So it's definitely emerging. And we know that circadian disruptions leaves you open to infection. Should I take vitamin D to improve my immunity? Yes, well, again, vitamins to sort of plug deficiencies. So it is likely if you live somewhere like uh, where we are now in the UK, that in the winter you might get deficient in vitamin D. I think it's worthwhile getting checked. Vitamin D is really important to the immune system and not in a boosting fashion, but it no. actually regulates uh, and, and you know keeps the brakes on the immune system. Um, so it could be worth supplementing if you think you're deficient uh, but it works hand in hand with so many other things yeah. so it needs vitamin K as well and it needs magnesium so you kind of make sure you're getting those other factors into your diet interestingly yeah. vitamin K is mostly produced by our microbiome yes. so make sure you're feeding the microbiome exactly, you can yeah. see how it's it, like a whole it, cascade of events it always <laughs> comes back down to the microbiome I remember I was, um, I was meant to be doing my nutritional medicine master's paper and one of the essay options mm -hmm. was uh, vitamin D and discussing right. the role for vitamin D supplementation in the UK and I chose not to answer that because it is so broad and yeah. I only had 1200 words and it's yeah. so broad to go into all the <laughs> different pleiotropic yes. effects of vitamin D because oh, it's not yes. a vitamin it's a hormone, it's a hormone and a yeah. master regulator of hundreds yeah. of different genes and you're like you can't yes. even begin to imagine how important this thing I mean, is the immune cells most of them have vitamin D receptors on yes. them so they're directly responding to vitamin PDRs, D yeah. and then it's really changing their behavior and stuff so yes um, if you think you could be deficient I think it's one that it's very hard to get from diet with vitamin D Dr. Jenna, this has been a mammoth session. I know. <laughs> I think it's the longest pod we've had. Oh. And we're not even half of the way through of all the different things we should be talking about. We, we need so to, much to say. talk about inflammation in more detail, know, brain, lymphatics, all those are different things. We can um, do a part two. We'll have I to guess. do a part yeah. three, four, sure. five. Yeah. <laughs> Just indulge me because I, I could talk about the immune system all day, every day. So. Good. Well, your passion certainly comes through. It's been thank an absolute you. pleasure. And we'll catch you another time. Yeah, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Uh, Dr. Jenna is brilliant. She uh, is, you know, she's a, a lecturer. She's holds a PhD from Imperial. She's got a, a whole bunch of the right credentials, but she also has a gift in that she's able to effortlessly um, express the complicated science in simple terms, so that people like myself can understand it better. 
Um, you know, I've been studying uh, medicine for a number of years and I continue to learn more and more um, from people like Jenna and, and other people in this space. Do check her, her out on socials. She, she is providing a lot of up-to-date materials, particularly to do with the outbreak, but also generally as well. Um, check out her book, uh, Immunity, The Science of Staying Well. It's a fantastic resource. I can't recommend it enough. It's brilliant. Um, and it gives a bit more detail and structure to the conversation that we were having today or well, when we released it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think to summarize our conversation, polyphenols are going to be your friend. So trying to get variety in different colors in at every single meal and the different types of colors represent different uh, phytonutrients and benefits to your overall well-being. So trying to get the purples, reds, greens in is fantastic looking after your gut health and we nurture them with different types of fibers so chickpeas lentils all the store cupboard essentials that hopefully we're going to be consuming more of over the next couple of weeks and think about how that helps you from an immune point of view and an overall well-being point of view and the other thing are things like nuts seeds that provide quality fats along with extra virgin olive oils and all the different cold pressed quality oils that we have that actually have anti-inflammatory effects and can potentially improve your immune health as well uh, i'd also say things like uh, lifestyle practices so right now which is a terribly anxious and anxiety inducing time it's never been a better time to try and practice gratitude and living in the moment and uh, being present and i know these sound a bit woo woo but actually all it involves is reducing your um your news and um your consumption of uh, media articles which i agree is very hard to do right now it's taking moments to uh focus on your breath even if it is for about 60 seconds and trying to tr try different uh types of meditation as well because we know that they can have benefits to not only your anxiety levels but also your immune health as well I hope this has been helpful um, and we will continue to uh, release a podcast on the normal schedule if we feel it's appropriate. If there's anything new or anything else that you want us to try and cover, we will try and do that as well within reason. But there are lots of resources out there, including the NHS website, the CDC website and Dr. Jenny uh, Machocki's um, socials as well. Give us a five star review, sign up to the newsletter at thedoctorskitchen.com and I will see you here next week. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 